So, Linda, welcome to uh, Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. My goal with this podcast is to have conversations with people about various topics. So we've been having all these great conversations and I'm like, we really need to be talking about these and sharing it with other people because you know what the situation is out there. And as still practicing, but in limited practice, you've got some, what they would, what, what's termed online as social proof and, and authority um, to, to kind of help frame what we're doing. And you're, you're, you're actually doing with me and experiencing yourself with our listeners. I think the wonderful thing is, folks, is we're we're coming to you live from uh, Linda's significant other, Tim, who's a great guy and a computer, uh, he's a computer developer guy, but we're coming to you from his man cave. And I'm going to admit on screen here that the reason I have a green screen background is because that's sort of like what my, my man cave looks like. So... <laughs> Linda's going to give us a little reality check of what what men who do things well and ha- with focus are are like to live with. It's hidden away in a closet, so. Well, that's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. Mine's hidden away with a green screen. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay, Linda. So, so you are. So I'm Linda Frazier. I'm a pediatrician. I've been a pediatrician since 1984. I did private practice. I worked in a youth detention facility for half my career. I'm officially retired, but still do fill-in work at the youth detention facility and have started doing some mission, medical mission trips uh, overseas. Uh, Where have you been? You've been to Bolivia, Salvador? Bolivia and El Salvador, and I'm going back to El Salvador. Okay. Yeah. And, And maybe some other opportunities will come up. In the future. Yep. I yep. Hope. You're living life. Okay. Yep. So, so now we know, we know for a fact you have a husband because you have a man cave. Right. And I have a husband, five adult children, one with special needs. Uh, three of the others are married with children and I have 10 and a half grandchildren. Yeah. One's in the pot. How many goats? We got, can't forget the goats. The cats, uh, we, the dogs, we're at the six chickens. goats right now and innumerable chickens and two dogs. Okay. Okay. So, and you live in the, the, the foothills near Plasherville, is that correct? Correct. Okay. We've been All here right. a long time. So you've been in practice since 1984 and we share sort of a commonality as alumni of UC Davis, uh, along with several other of my friends, Dr. Dr. Edwards is a alumni of Davis. Dr. Steve Finney is a Professor Emeritus, he was in the medical program there. Probably around the time you were, I can't remember when he got sort of pushed out. Um, I was uh, I was in med school 80 to 84 and then residency 84 to 88. Okay. And for those so, of you who are doing the math and think that I failed a year, I had a baby instead. Oh, well, that's it a good It took me thing. longer to get through. Man, talk about an overachiever. <laughs> So that's your that's sort of the 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 essence of of your life. Like I've said to you, one of the things I've said for you for the listeners out there is is Linda's living her life really in what I see is in aligned completely in alignment with her biology. She's a wife, she's a mother, she's a grandmother, she's doing everything a female, she's living that female life fully in terms of her nurturing. You know, she's got goats. She makes goat yogurt, fresh goat yogurt. I, I want to try some someday. It's pretty. Um, she's a pediatrician, so she she she's caring for young. I, I find Linda such a joy to talk to because she's got a very wonderful yet realistic attitude about life, and that's we're going to talk about the reality. But we're but she's got this wonderful attitude, positive attitude about you know actually getting in there and doing things. And, and one of the things you do is you coach the Buffalo Chips Youth Program, right? That is correct. That's correct. I've been doing that for, I can't, I, I remember what year I started, probably at least 10, if not 12 years at this point. Okay. And uh, she she went full on with OFM this, I think this last summer. Was it this last summer we, we started coaching? and? Yeah, you started coaching me in May or June, I think. 
of this and then, year. And then were you following us before that or what was the, well, how'd you come you, to, to, to learn about us? You want the whole story? Uh, we want, uh, we're going to keep going back and we're going to look. Okay. So I found you from Volek and Finney's book, uh, the art and science of low carbohydrate performance. Mm -hmm. And I found them after some further, a friend of mine had uh, recommended Mark's daily apple to me. And I found the primal blueprint back in, maybe 2014. Mm -hmm. And that was when I made the dramatic diet change. But when I found you after reading Balek and Finney's book, you kept talking about optimized fat management and strategic carbohydrates. And while I was on a carbohydrate restricted diet and doing well and happy with how I was doing, I kept thinking, but I still have gut issues when I ra race. Where do you put the carbs in? How much do you put in? When do you put it in? What kind of carbs? And so I joined your metabolic reset class last January to get those questions answered. Because I didn't, I didn't understand how to uh, optimize what I was already doing. And at my age, as you know, we get slower. And I'm trying to get slower. God, don't, tell me, don't talk about that. <laughs> I'm trying to get slower more slowly than the charts say I'm supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, folks. Uh, a spoiler alert here. Linda has gotten a lot faster. A month ago, she ran a lifetime PR at the marathon distance. Uh, so I'll, I'll get. I cheated. Yeah, yeah, you cheated, but you you still ran a lifetime. PR and that's what the clock is all about. So obviously something's working. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so okay. So this whole this whole paradigm, you, you've gotten your you've been more conscious. I'm, I take it you've been more conscious of your vitamin D and some of the other things we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, I actually Seth. was was pretty pretty good on vitamin D. I'd been paying attention to that for quite a few years. My levels I knew were good. I've kind of changed how I take it. I do the the bolusine now, but I was I was really kind of in tune with a lot of your overall advice. But I wanted the reason I took the class was I thought that there was a little more room to move in the improvement area, and there was. I things have changed for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, and and you look great, and 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 not only that, but was it a week or two after that you did the nationals with your kids? Was it oh, just week? a week later, I went to nationals with the, yeah, the and, and, Right, and you you, ran, you literally ran around the course nine miles during that day. I <laughs> it did. Was crazy. Somebody, <laughs> you got to cheer for them. Well, you got to cheer for them, and 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 it's kind of funny. It's kind of fun to watch a psycho Garmin readout. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's 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 owing to that recovery aspect, which is actually due to not doing the damage. So the, the reason I wanted to have you on is have this conversation because you're you're both passionate and and acting the fact that since you've learned about through my Mark's Daily Apple and the Primal Blueprint and then Bollock and Finney and then coming to OFM, you really have, it's really sunk in uh, a lot of things that for decades as a medical professional you you, you kind of weren't told. So where, oh, yeah, where no, were you? Not before? at all. Not at yeah. all. I, um, you know, up until about 2005, our family was largely vegetarian, not because my husband wanted that, but because I wrote the menus and did the cooking and pasta, bread. We were, we were on an extremely high carbohydrate diet. And then when my son was diet, well, I was diagnosed with celiac disease in 2005 and my son was diagnosed with Crohn's disease just a few months later. Meat and uh, was put back in the diet really, really fast because he was anemic, and and we. But I did what all celiacs do. I just went and bought the gluten-free version of everything. We still did gluten-free pasta. We still did gluten-free bread. We I made gluten-free brownies. I mean, I just did what everybody does when they're uh, when they get that diagnosis, and I didn't really but we added meat back in because of nathan's anemia 
Well, and, and, it and, wasn't, and Penn was probably thrilled. <laughs> oh yeah, the boys, the boys were really happy. The girls, one of the girls was less happy. But then it wasn't really until doing all the, the common stuff that so many women my age at that age do. And, uh, I had fatigue, I had puffy ankles, I had uh, put on 10 pounds that I didn't want and couldn't figure out where they came from because I didn't think I was eating any differently and I was training for marathons. And I actually got so bad, I quit my job for a year. I just quit. I just couldn't keep up. I was raising five kids. I was coaching campfire clubs. I was running, but I, I just quit. I gave up. I mean, I didn't give up on the rest of life. And then, and really it was, it was my, I got to tell you, kudos to my sister. She um, is younger than I, and she found the South Beach diet in the early 2000s and said, hey, the food pyramid makes no sense. And I was like, yeah, right. I mean, I read Diet for a Small Planet. I read all those other books. I knew better than she did, of course. My sister's always right, by the way. And, and oh, when, I really, <laughs> when I wasn't feeling great, I finally pulled out the South Beach diet book. And I, I kind of poo-pooed it. But then, you know, when when Primal Blueprint sort of reinforced the impact of too much carbohydrate on your system and all the inflammation and all the insulin release and and all of a sudden i realized where the extra weight was coming from and some um, of that some of that basic physiology was starting yeah to the physiology made, the physiology finally maybe i was ready to hear it at that point but it finally made sense and that's in 2013 i told my husband we were going primal for lent and everything changed the weight just kind of went away. The puffiness went away. I I felt better. A year later, I had a hemoglobin A1C that was 5.7, which is just at the bottom of pre-diabetic. So I don't know where it was before I went primal. You don't, primal. You don't, you don't want to know, right? I want to know. And yeah. it's come down since then because that was like, I'm not going there. And just now, now for, let, let me let me just qualify this. Now, a lot of people, they use hemoglobin a1c is a marker for diabetes right in the right, standard right. standard but but what hba1c really is is it's it's really a marker for glycation right and the term is aging ages for advanced glycate end product because right. it literally does age you um, but it's it's also an easy lab to get so yes. when you're just trying to do some screening for where am I? But I looked at that number and went, oh, no, 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 this is this is not the way things are going to go for me. And then the other thing that happened, well, we we stayed kind of primal paleo. The other thing that happened was I started having lifetime PRs in my races. 5K, 10K. In 2015, I had a PR in a half marathon. For those who are athletes, that's not supposed to happen in your late 50s and 60s. And for me, the proof was in the pudding. That yep. was... To me, that was just like an indicator that my fitness and my health was better than it had been a decade earlier when I had started running fairly seriously. And then I got some nice side effects. We talked about it earlier today. We Lent overlaps the start of spring. And in the Sacramento Valley, spring is miserable for those of us with allergies. And my his history was two antihistamines, eye drops, snow spray. Uh, two inhalers, prednisone for three or four weeks in May, every year, every year since I moved up here to go to medical school. And I got in the spring of 2013 and went, wait a minute, I've only started my nose drops and my eye spray so far, or my nose spray and my eye drops so far. And that was all I used all season. And that's all I've used since. So I didn't expect that. That wasn't why I did it. But there's these little extra things that come along and you're like, wow. Yeah. I didn't well, that know a, that was going to happen. That was a big <laughs> thing for me on, when I started my personal journey. I started this in 2000 and then in 2001 or two, I, I really cut back on the concentrated carbs and the dairy because I was just miserable. And I'd read somewhere about, about that. And, and, and up until that point, the first couple of years, like I told you earlier today, I literally had to stop running because I would stop breathing. And I was yeah, just like, bad. 
it was miserable. And now, now it's, I'm, I'm kind of like you. Yeah. In the, in the springtime when the grass and tree pollen is pretty bad here in the central Valley. Yeah. I, I feel it. I get a little bit of runny eyes, a little itchy, but I'm not miserable. I'm not using meds. And I find that if I fast and really watch the carbs and keep my, my food intake to a minimum, it's kind of amazing how much I can attenuate that thing. And it goes back to what I talk about with inflammation. You have these layers of inflammation. So you have the food inflammation, you have maybe some inflammation from some exposure, or you have a little bit of inflammation if your periodontal health isn't on point, right? And then all of a sudden along comes the, the spring allergies. And that's, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Whereas your, your immune system can can to deal with it if it was just the one thing, but if your stomach and gut isn't right, or you've got inflammation from too much carbs or crappy food, or you've got, you're taking in the wrong kind of oils, or you get exposed to something else that, that causes an inflammatory response. It's the, the allergies are what set you over the top, but it was just kind of inf- interesting how, when you take those late, like what I call those layers of inflammation back, your body actually can work pretty darn well. Yeah. So, so and that, then yeah. you know the marathon was the icing on the cake last month. That was just that was pretty fun. I coached Linda, and and there was a big block of that marathon, like ninety minutes of it, two hours of it, where she was just clocking off seven thirty, seven twenties, just clicking away like a machine. Yeah, yeah, it was downhill, but you were cruising and and and. Based on your heart rate and data, uh, you know, and I expect you to leave it all out there, but you you left something on the table. I mean, I think you, yeah, I think and you I and it. It, I think that had I um, had it not been eighteen degrees at the start, had I not taken the first bus and stood there for an hour and a half, and my feet were like ice blocks, I think the first five or so miles would have been faster. I mean, I know that I yep. could have really run down that hill much faster, but the first five miles I spent warming up. They were, they were, I couldn't take any of the hills. I wasn't warmed up enough. So the conditions would have to be perfect. But I've talked, I talked to one woman who's done several of these downhill marathons with this organization. And she said, it's always freezing cold at the start. So I'm, I'm not sure that I can get perfection. And, but I, I'm still smiling about it. I'm still pretty happy. Yeah. It, it, was, it really was yeah. the icing on the cake. Yeah, you certainly weren't sandbagging, but you weren't coming and collapsing at the finish with a, with a, with a, you know, like a three thirty marathon or something. Right. You, you because know, I think I think on that course under ideal conditions you could have come close to that sort of level of running. Time will tell. That also was my first fasted marathon. You gave me the courage to do it on. Oh, I forgot that detail. Yeah, I've always gotten up really early and eaten a big breakfast before marathons, and I didn't. I had half a cup of coffee three hours before it started. There was a little bit of chocolate sitting on the counter, so I ate a square of it because it looked good with coffee. But that was still three hours before the start of the marathon. And 15 minutes before the start, I took salt, water, probably eight ounces of water, a Vespa, got back in the porta potty line because you always do that before a marathon. And I just took off and I did it with confidence because you had me do my training runs. And yeah, trust the system. I mean, you did. I, you I, did, I did, you did fine. Yeah, you did eat well in the days leading up to the race. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I think I told time. you about the square of chocolate after dinner the night before, but that's why no, the chocolate was still uh, sitting on the counter. <laughs> But this is part this is part of the journey is to to get rid of the stress and really live and enjoy life and and, and eating food is part of that. I mean Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But eating absolutely. good food is part of it too. I mean, it's so it's so much more satisfying to eat uh, a really good quality piece of beef and some roasted potatoes and cooked veggies the night before a marathon than trying to carb load like we used to call it. Everybody, everything's happier. I'm happier. My gut's happier. And obviously I run better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once you trusted the system that your body between the Vespa, the training and the fat on your body, it would deliver and it, and it did. Now, how many calories did you take in besides maybe, did you take one or two Vespas during the race and then some bit of honey? Well, I took the one at the beginning and then one in the middle and then I couldn't find my CV. So I was wasting too much time looking for it. So I took some noon water and kept going. So two Vespas, 
and maybe five bit of honeys. So maybe like a, less than 150 calories. Yeah. And that was yeah. a 2000 calorie project. So I was doing the maths today while I was out running. And, you know, even if I have, I'm small, even if I have 800 calories of glycogen in me somewhere, I over, over tapped that. So clearly I was burning fat. Otherwise I could have never finished. And I finished well. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is, is between the fat adaptation really shifts the, the paradigm, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and let's, let's, I'll show, I'll pull up some stuff I've been pulling up. I, I did this little graph. And we'll do that. We'll do a little presentation here. Uh, I am very, very slow with this. So you just have to be patient with me. All right. Can you see this now, Linda? Okay. So let's go back to Finney and Volick and all this. And the let's look at the science. So this is this is a study by Venables out of the Netherlands back in 2005, and it this is basically kind of what established the whole thing why carbs are king right because fat oxidation was less than a grant was set the ceiling was set the absolute ceiling was set at one gram a minute and this is why they tell you you can't rely on fat for moderate to high intensity exercise okay most people right. burn about a half a gram most well-conditioned athletes burn about a half a gram this is faster in 2015 here this again is the one gram a minute line okay up here, we have the the low-carb diet cohort, which were people who were all trained by me. And they're averaging one and a half grams a minute. One guy, John Rutherford, went 1.78. And here's the high-carb cohort. And they're right there. They're good fat burners as far as the science is concerned. They were burning almost 0.7 grams a minute. Okay, so right in line with someone. And then here's, uh, I'm cherry picking, but we've got other people who are doing the same thing. This is Peter Mortimer's. VO2 max test data. Here's the one gram a minute line right here. See that? And here, and here's the one and a half gram minute line where faster people were. Okay. Now here's where he is. He's burning pretty much around two grams a minute or, or more. Right. And okay. So we will, this is a comparison chart. So here I've lined up the one gram a minute. And so when we're talking about fat oxidation and, and this is, this is what you experience. The data corroborates the experience. It doesn't drive it. It's like, like that for the audience that's listening to Linda talk about her doing less than hundred going out fasted using less than 150 calories here. Here's the, the reason why, and this is data we have, you know, this now I expect you as a, a female and, and being, a lot smaller than Peter. Peter's my height and he's, he's a big guy to be, be, you know, smoking at around two grams a minute. Jeff Browning does the same thing. They both, by the way, live in Flagstaff and train between 7,000 feet and 11,000 feet and 2,000 feet. So be, training at altitude is a big deal. And I'm right. sure, and I'm sure you noticed that when you did your backpacking trip after two or three days, your engine was a whole lot bigger than it was on the first, the first day. day is rough if you're going <laughs> yeah. uphill. Yeah. Yeah. Just throw that 40 pound pack on and start hiking at 8,000 feet. Yeah. That's, that's fun. <laughs> right. But by the third day, it's kind of, kind of interesting how that engine just adapts. Yeah. And, and you're not fully adapted. That takes much longer, but the, the, you know, the early adaptation to elevation starts happening pretty quickly. And, and yeah, by day three, it's it's not the same feeling as it is on day one where you're like, I really need some oxygen. Yeah. So that's one of the factors for this kind of level of fat oxidation, whether they can sustain. And this is at high level, right? He's he's running uh, nine. Uh, he's running like sub six minute miles here. Well, OK, so he's put he's he's pushed himself. And now uh, are you familiar with the crossover? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, well, this is the crossover, and you can see my cursor, can't you? Yeah. Okay, so this is the Brooks Johnson crossover that talks about how well-conditioned athletes they cross over burning fat to carbohydrate about sixty-five percent of their VO two max. Right, you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is this was the science. This is the faster study crossover, and again, the 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 low carb diet cohort that 
crossover shifted to like 70 to 80 percent of the vo2 max from 65 and again the high carb guys were right in line with the with the right. existing science right so now we're in that sweet spot for endurance sports right right now we'll go back to peter's stuff and guess what happens here he doesn't cross over he so he's burning going. he's burning fat he's you know the carbs yeah the carbs are starting to come up and 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 they're needed because he's he's now running down at six minutes sub six minute miles it's great they they, they started increasing the grade on the treadmill mm -hmm. on the treadmill but when you do the adjustment, it's like he's running under six minute miles and, you know, hurting at that point, but he never crossed over. So this is kind of just a, a way to show that that what you're experiencing, there, there's data to support that now. Right. You well, know. and and clearly, like I said, there's absolutely no I ran that whole marathon on carbs. I didn't take enough in. I couldn't have had enough stored. And while the last few miles, my legs were not all that happy with that continuing downhill, the rest of me felt fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. I did not feel like I'd left it all out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, my friend who was meeting me at the finish was watching people come across the finish line and passing out and barfing. And and the thought that went through her head is, oh no, I have Tim's phone number. You know, like what if she needs medical care? And she said, you you come across the line, you do not resuscitate. There's a do not resuscitate. <laughs> yeah, and she said, she said, you you just kept walking. You got your water. You got. I think I got a bag of potato chips. They look yeah, really good. Yeah. And I just kept walking until I found her, and then we got to talking. But she said, you just like you just walked from the finish line to the gate and she said i it, all my worry was for nothing <laughs> and then she was surprised yeah. at how long it was before i really got hungry it was a good couple of hours when i said okay i'm ready to eat yeah Other i think we talked on the phone when you were getting ready to, to have breakfast yeah we were headed out to breakfast. i was i was showered i'd had my epsom salt bath i had had that bag of potato chips but they were so good well, yeah, the only reason the reason you had them is because you probably need a little salt. Well, and they were sitting there and they had all the choices and they looked good. Yep. And that's 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 part of the fun of this is is on race day. You can yep. use what you like, use what you know works and use what's available. And I still swear those bit of honeys are just for the taste. I mean, I know they have a few calories in them and you tell me physiologically it makes sense. But honestly, you're out there running with your mouth open and things taste so good anymore and you stick that little bit of honey in there and you're like that's really yummy yeah i think they were they help me when i'm climbing so i'll take a couple i need to take like two or three all at once and uh before a climb and i think they give me a little bit of push we're talking about just a tiny bit goes a long ways right yeah and whether it's yeah. physiologic or between the ears really doesn't matter yeah, it works. Yeah. I care if it's anecdotal, as long as it works. <laughs> right? Proofs right. in the pudding. Right. Now, yeah, well, you mentioned something about no carbs. And, and one of the things we want to talk about is the beauty of OFM is, is fat metabolism is, is amazingly complex. We're not just talking about fat for fuel, although when we're doing these events, that's the main reason. But one of the part of the beauty of this is your liver is sort of like an alchemist and it it'll it'll make the energy to meet the metabolic need so while you were probably burning probably 80 90 maybe 100% fat most of the time i'm sure you're you're you were breaking down liver fat to produce ketones and glucose cuz when you're fat adapted your liver actually has a pathway to take the glycerol backbone of a triglyceride you know, you so you're freeing up the free fatty acid for beta oxidation, and then, and it'll make it into glucose to meet the metabolic needs. So you, you tap out your your glycogen person. You you might go through your intermuscular your your intramuscular glycogen stores, but your your liver glycogen stores you you probably probably didn't deplete those. You probably used some of it, but probably didn't deplete that because I think a large amount of your glucose and ketone needs were probably being met just because your liver was just tuned up and that's that's also why you get hungry is like 
you turn on that machine for, for delivering all that internal energy. Once you stop, it takes about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes of signaling for it to ramp down. So you have this energy backup that, that, that I think you've seen that, right? Like when you train and all that, it's, it's at least an hour and a half before you really feel like you need to eat something. I like my food, but I usually have a, a good 45 minute drive home from wherever I finish a long run. So right, and I don't, shower, I don't eat during that. Yep. I might drink. Um, I might eat the last bit of honey in my baggie, but I, I don't eat till I get home and put her around and check the mail and then I eat. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I want to move the, the, the conversation on to your thoughts as a, as a physician and a pediatrician. We'll, we'll save the, the, the kids thing for another podcast, but you know, we're trying to, to move the needle on health and especially now with things being what they are. I mean, I'll, I'll say it, you have to say, if we've learned, if we're really looking at the data objectively and, and what, what we've really learned from the last couple of years, when you look at the data about who's having bad outcomes, no matter what they got, it's the people who are not metabolically fit. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I quit, I honestly, I mean, I know what you're alluding to that when the, when the first data started coming out, it was truly terrifying. But by the end of May 2020, when the data started coming out of the U.S. about who was having bad outcomes, I, I was done worrying. Yes, I was in my 60s and I had no other risk factor. My vitamin D was good. I was lean. I was fit. I got plenty of sunshine, plenty of exercise. I, I was done worrying in May of 2020, which was, by the way, a really long time ago now. But, but the, the true data coming out was age and serious comorbidities, honestly, with obesity and type 2 diabetes being the top of the list. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, and Kathy, it, yeah, Kathy yeah. said the same thing, right? Well, well, yeah, and she's an intensivist. And she said right. she, was, she was sitting, I remember I had a call with her in February, late February of 2020. And she had to get off the call because they were starting to bring the transfers over from New York. She was mm -hmm. in New Jersey. And so she started, she started right. She was right on that, in that core of the COVID thing. And she said to me, she said to me, you know, nobody that's come in here with a serious case, they did, they all had comorbidities. You might've had to look for them because she had some young people who, who mm -hmm. struggled, but they all had comorbidities. It's like, it was just clear as bell. She, she hadn't seen anybody that did not have some serious comorbidities. And that's, you know, that was one of the funny things you said you were down by May, but when I, I'm a curious sort and I'm a guy. So when this came out in, in March, I looked at, I started looking at the primary literature and the sequencing and I had gone to China in 2002 when they had the SARS outbreak and everybody was like freaked out. And I'm like, I'm going to go. I had to go there from business and I went and had a great time. So I was like, okay, let me look at this stuff. And I talked to Denise Minger's mom, Sue Minger. I don't know if you know Denise Minger. She's, she's a really smart cookie. She's a young gal who's brilliant. She wrote the book, Death by Food Pyramid. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, and she's the one that, that, that questioned T. Colin Campbell's China study to where he wouldn't answer her because she's a, she's a, she's a stats. Uh, but anyway, Susan... Uh, Susan actually did some postdoc work at Davis on avian flu. So I was talking with her and then looking at some of the primary literature. And I, I looked at this thing and it's like, this, this is interesting because as, as a, as a, as a, as a virus and, and, and for the audience, we're not just going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about viruses in general, but as, as viruses go, as, as coronaviruses go, this is kind of a middle of the road. It's not as virulent as SARS-1. It isn't, wasn't as virulent as uh, MERS. But the problem was with the fear and cleavage site, it was really transmissible compared to them. And I was like, this is a numbers game. It's like the lottery in reverse. Everybody gets it. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that was the problem is like more people are going to get it. So more sick people are going to get it. So, and that's how I found it, you know, and all the things I was doing it, with this was, was like, okay, Vitamin D, I did a big dive into vitamin D in 2010. And that's why I came up with all these protocols because Michael Hollick's like the lead researcher in the world on this and read his stuff and read some other stuff, including some out of the box stuff. 
and start thinking about it in terms of, okay, what evolutionarily, you know, most of our existence, we were out in the sun a lot. If we lived near the equator, we had darker colored skin because we got way too much sun. But if we were up in the northern latitudes, we had fairer skin because we only had a couple months to store up that vitamin D. But right. we got a lot of vitamin D and and that was a, a key thing. Up until 2020, one of the comments we consistently got in my personal experience was the athletes I was working with just didn't get sick in the, in the winter anymore. Yeah, not very and, often. Yeah, not very often. They had to get a pretty big viral load or run themselves down. You know, maybe after a race, they would well, that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah, our, yeah. that's our weak moment. Yeah. I started thinking back to my days at Davis uh, because I, I was pummeled by the pre-meds and pre-vets because I was just, I was a plant science major. A lot of the basic stuff I had to take with them, Chem 1A, Chem 1B, biology, physiology, genetics. Anyway, but I started remembering back from some basic virology stuff and it's like viruses replicate gly glycolytically, right? Right. This is this is basic virology that everybody seems to have conveniently forgotten. So I started thinking, well, well, most of the American population has got too many carbohydrates, too much chronic stress, too many seed oils or, or processed oils, too many things that really have their cells predisposed to glucose metabolism. They're not aerobically fit. The, the people aren't aerobically fit. That's another big one, having cardiovascular fitness. And so if you if your cells are predisposed to burning glucose, you're really kind of asking viruses to come come on in and have a replication orgy. Whereas if they're in deep beta oxidation, it's not exactly a very good environment, right? Yeah, well, what I like to tell people is uh, sugar makes your white cells lazy. They they just don't work as well when the sugar load is high. And for, I mean, for our type two diabetics, their sugar loads high all the time, their blood sugar's high and their white cells are lazy and they get an infection, they can't fight it off. It's devastating. And yet they also are more prone to infect. Well, I guess if you can't fight it off, you feel like you're prone to them. But, and, and here's the other thing that more research needs to be done on. Most cancer cells have to have sugar. Yep, that's how, they, that's how they grow. And if they're deprived of sugar, the vast majority of cancer cell types can't grow. And um, there's some research supporting this out of UCLA on ovarian cancer women. On I have a friend whose nephew just had a recurrence of some weird cancer. And the, the, the doctors looked at the parents and said he starts a ketogenic diet today. That was before they even restarted his treatment. So, oh, so, they're, so they're, these doctors are a little bit uh, forward thinking and, and are up on the latest. Yeah. Can you imagine being back? told your kid's cancers come back? You're going ketogenic today. I mean, that'd be yeah. scary. But so our immune system doesn't tolerate the high levels of glucose floating around in most people's systems right now. And, and I think the thing that scares me the most is when they start talking about 50 to 80% of adults in the next decade are going to have obesity and type 2 diabetes is, I'm sorry, we can't afford that. We could divert every dollar we have, but the amount of disability, blindness, kidney disease, dialysis, cardiovascular disease, lost years of work, lost years of life, of course, they get inexpensive at that point. But up until then, we don't we don't have those kind of funds. We, we'd have to divert everything. We'd have to give up on education, defense, and everything else we do. Because yeah, I think the, that's the, the, too the, high a budget item. I think and the it's current, all preventable. I think the current statistic is that one in four dollars in healthcare right now is diabetes related. Well, and that's only going to rise. Right. And Unless then, we can get people to turn this around. It's a yeah. disease you can put in remission for most people. I don't know if you want to go there, but I just threw in. I want, I want you to go there because we need, I need, I, like I said, you're a warrior. You're a warrior in a woman's way, which is a wonderful thing. And it's because you care and because you're trying to nurture people. And it's now that you've got, you, you, you've gotten what, what your career didn't tell you initially and you've gotten on your own through, through serendipity. I mean, 
you know, my, my thing, my, my journey to what I'm doing is, is completely accidentally, but, but I'm glad I'm, I'm here. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I was kind of accidental too. I mean, a couple yeah. of health problems intervened there that made me start looking at options, but yeah, I, I just, it breaks my heart to see people. I I'll see a young, my, my sister gets really upset with me when the first thing I notice is somebody's weight, but she, but when I look at a young mother pushing her kid in the stroller, who's got a bottle of juice in the stroller, that's when we get on to kids. Oh, the infamous and I look at how I look at how heavy she is, and, and she's got a couple little kids. And I think, sweetheart, to my in my head, sweetheart, you're not going to live long enough to see your children. I mean, it just breaks my heart. And yet, yeah. that's the reality. Or or she'll be so debilitated by type two diabetes that she won't be able to enjoy her grandchildren. And it's because it's not what you look like, it's what's happening to your cells. Your, yep. your glucose intolerant, your pancreas is wearing out early, your, your vessels are clogging up, you've got inflammation everywhere. And, and that's, I mean, what I see is the heavy mommy what I'm thinking is, oh my gosh, what's going on inside your body is just terrifying because you're young yeah, and your kids are little. And I see it all the time. It's everywhere. And it just breaks my heart. Yeah, no, it, and it's, and we, we didn't even talk about the, 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 what's, I know, well, you were a pediatrician, but what, one of the most common procedures for young young women childbearing ages do and the acronym for it well it's the gallbladder and it's yeah the four the four the four female fat 40 fertile right right and and we are that's that's another thing is is that's the most common procedure for that class of 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 patient and and it's completely unnecessary and it's 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 a fascinating thing i mean like, like when you're talking about this with young mothers, I mean, I think about this because I, I have a friend who's friends who are dairy nutrition experts. And, and I kind of look at the modern dairy cow as so, sort of like an elite athlete because they're pushing those at they're pushing those cows hard to produce milk. Right. I mean, and it's a balancing act. But boy, I mean, dairy nutrition is a fascinating thing in lactation. But, you know, females are, are primed to be cholesterol making machines. Right. Be because you're, you you got to make cholesterol for your body. You got to make cholesterol to build a body, another body. You got to build, make a lot of cholesterol to make milk. And then, you know, you have your kids, you stop nursing. And all of a sudden, if you have your hormones on point, you're making a lot of cholesterol to fill up your gallbladder. And if you're, if you're eating a high carb, low fat meal, those it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Well, there's only so many places all that starch and sugar can go and you run out right. of places real fast. Well, yeah, but you're not, you're not, you're also not triggering that gallbladder response that when you fast and then you break your fast with a fat and protein rich meal, that's what causes that really good bile response from your gallbladder to keep your bile ducts clean. Well, and now we're back to the snacking thing. Yes. Yep. You've got to pause between meals for several hours for a whole bunch of reasons and one of them is the gallbladder. It's certainly not the only reason. Exactly. The gallbladder and the hormones between your gallbladder, your ghrelin, your leptin, and your insulin. It's a, it's a, del, it's a, it's a nasty dance. But then yeah. if you give up snacking, it happens automatically. Absolutely. Everything goes in. But, but people have been told when they, when they couldn't, it, I, you know, we live in a thing where people have a hard time admitting they're wrong. And I think Tim Noakes, I, I just love him for being able to say I was wrong, rip everything out that I wrote about eating carbs and burn it. Be- but most people can't think of it historically in the eighties when they came up with the, with the food pyramid and told us to eat carbs and low fat that triggered these massive sugar spikes in the meals, right? Like which you're, you're aware of because you were doing it. But instead of saying, oh, this didn't quite work, and we need to re- completely rethink it. What they said was, okay, eat five or six small meals. So right. you didn't get quite the spikes, but you still got the sugar load. But then and you got you the still hormone. never were satiated. You're always hungry. Right. You're and, just and you're always hungry. But you also exacerbated the hormonal balance a- at the same time. 
I don't remember which new, which person it was, and it might have been Noakes, but I, you know, I may be misspeaking. But when Diana Nyad was trying to swim from Cuba to Key West, she her first attempts, she did it all on carp, spaghetti, and uh, candy. Probably I don't remember the details, but uh, she had a nutritionist out of South Africa, I think. Again, I could be misspeaking, but who said no, 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 no your stomach's never going to tolerate that which it didn't and completely revamped her diet and that's the year she made it yeah that's a big i mean that's like a 36 hour swim she was in her early 60s it's just an incredible feat but uh, she had to redo her diet in order to make that incredible swim just yeah and and people need to know it's it's the diet's a tool for a lot of things, but see, she redid her diet, but she couldn't have done it on the calories in the diet. She, she did it on the calories in her body, but she set herself up hormonally to do that. Right. And I think I posted in our Facebook page a couple months ago, and I, I generally don't post, but I came across this thing where they had a tagged uh, gotwit. It's a bird that flies from Alaska. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. And it, it, it had the, it, they, it was a tagged one. So it was a documented thing of the longest single flight. And, and these birds, it's a nonstop flight and and flying is not something for the faint of heart, right? <laughs> it's not, it's not low intensity exercise, No, <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. Once you like, like how you felt after your marathon, you could have gone on if you needed to. Yeah, no, I didn't want to, but, but. I was <laughs> no. ready to be done. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's could like, I, could I have walked to get to, if I'd had to walk three miles to my hotel? Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. could have kept going. Yeah. I think I could have turned it into an ultra. I'd taken it out too hard, but, but I could have kept moving. I, we did keep moving the rest of the day. I mean, yeah, and I got up and took a walk. You, part of the reason you went was to visit, catch up with an old friend. So you guys were doing stuff. You weren't just laying yeah, on the Yeah, we got up and walked to Starbucks the next morning. We walked out on the pier later in the day at the beach. It's some old, you know, we, we kind of reminisced a little because we were driving through some areas where I'd grown up. And yeah, no, I mean, did I put my legs up and watch a movie with her? Yes. But we were, uh, yeah, we didn't just sit. Of course, we had a lot of catching up to do. Well, that's that's. That's part of it. Like you say, you know, you, you see these young women, you and I have that same problem. I look, what I like to do is look at people, what people have in their grocery bags when they're checking out the grocery store. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you do that? Come on. No, I really don't. I think I'd get too upset and I'm usually too focused. Just get through the checkout line and go home. Yeah, I, I don't need here, to shock. Here's what I do, Linda. I, I check it. I'm watching because I'm looking at this stuff and it's, you know, it's a train wreck in slow motion, but I'll comment when I see somebody doing it well. Okay, like fair it, enough. Yeah, I'll comment when I see somebody who's got some veg, some ve fresh vegetables, some fresh meat, you know, or they'll buy this big thing of meat. Like, like where I live, there's a lot of Latinos and I'll have a big thing of meat. And I think, what, what are you going to make? Oh, that's good. And, and that's that's when i'll comment but you know it's kind of like i'll tell you it's funny in davis and this is really bad i mean this is i think these guys will ever see it but i was in davis one time checking out and there were some young men in front of me and i was getting the steaks because they were on the they were the lost on sale right so i had a thing of steaks and like an avocado so yeah okay. these young men in davis i mean it's not i'm not trying to judge them but god guys you need to do better than this. Have some fresh food, have some protein, you know, some real food stuff. And, and it's just kind of sad to see, see what's going on. Like you say, like you were saying earlier, I mean, we don't have enough money to, to pay for it. And you wonder, and you kind of, I'm looking at these guys and what they're eating and what they look like. And it's like, no wonder the birth rates going down, sperm counts are going down. Mm. Very possibly. We have some, some pretty big things to tackle and and i'm i'm grateful that that you've uh decided to come out and share some of our conversations on this because i know it's you, i know you you you're very passionate about it but you also want to hurt anybody's feelings but we also got to kind of give people that little bit of dose of reality right yeah it's it's a fine line to walk yeah 
So what are your thoughts on, on, you know, what you're doing right now in terms of this whole metabolic thing has been really a, a life changer for you, right? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, when I read the primal blueprint in whatever year that was 2013 ish, I've, I've given away 60 copies of that book and I did it all in the first couple, three years and I would hand it to people and I wouldn't say a word about why I was had chosen them. I just say this book changed my life. I thought you'd be interested. Oh, cool. I get, I mean, 60 copies. Uh, they had it in paperback back then. And I know that anybody read it. Um, I know, I do know one type two diabetic who did revamp her, her diet and was off insulin in less than a week. I know that she stuck with it, but she knows what to do if she changes her mind. But, but that once I understood the physiology and that was really the start of my journey. And I, I wanted to share it with everybody that I loved. And so I, just kept buying copies of the book by the case and giving them away to people. And I know, I know that I, and I, like I said, I, I never people why I chose them. I just said, this book's changed my life. And I, I know it's, it's kind of hard. Yeah. And then you, then you, but then you kind of evolved because you went and got technical step up, but certainly in your wheelhouse as a physician. Yeah, right. oh, I'm, I'm I'm in my wheelhouse, and I'm always looking for the next step. And you know, right. there, like I said, I I was wondering if if I'd already passed my best marathon, or if I had one more better one in me. I didn't know, and there was only one way to find out. Yeah, and then you you know you went from, as I say, you went from keto to beyond keto with OFM. And that's kind right. Of well, I I tried keto once, full keto, for Lent, and honestly. I noticed absolutely no difference in how I felt, but what I missed was my crunchy apple at lunchtime. Cause to cut out those extra carbs, I had to give up some, some things. I had to reduce from about 80 to hundred carbs a day down to what below 50. Well, the, the lunch apple had to go. Yeah. And I love my half a pink lady lunch apple every day. They're you know, a huge apple in half, but they crunch and they're good. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm willing to give this up when I really saw no difference in anything else, except I really missed my lunch apple. So has, has, has OFM helped you with, with knowing how to use carbs more strategically and, and enjoy yeah, all the, and enjoy and fully, but use them beneficially? Yeah, I mean, the apple's staying, but in terms of, you know, what night I add potatoes, when I can... The parents on my running team found out my favorite candy is chocolate covered mint. So I got them. I, they bought me a whole box of them. But I, I know when I can have one of those and not not mess up anything. And that's just it's almost I'm more relaxed. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's that's why I make a big deal in the program that stress chronic stress is as big a deal as as too many carbs. I mean, just because of the physiology, you know, the, the cortisol response and then what that does. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's off to the races, right? Right. Right. But right. So, so, and, and I can have a whole box of peppermint patties in the, in the pantry and not eat them all in, in one sitting. I know that there are people who couldn't possibly do that. There are some things that maybe I wouldn't want to have in the pantry because I get carried away if it was sitting there. But, um, I seem to be able to do that. I can enjoy a peppermint patty and just get on with my day. Yeah. And not no, freak and, out and about it. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is, is I'm sure you're like where I am now. It's like, like when you eat too much, you don't feel very good or you eat the wrong things too often. You just feel good. And it kind of, you kind of autocorrect and it feels yeah. good to fast. It feels good when you, when you do a run and you, you just, you just feel like your your body's just like tuned in and and has has that okay i'm just dialed in and i'm just not hungry and and go about your day well i think the thing for me with the fasting is i think i mentioned i really like to eat but um if i go run errands and everything takes longer than i expected and i get home two hours later than i thought i was going to and lunch didn't happen at the usual time i'm fine I feel fine. I, I might be a little hungry, 
but I'm not, I'm not bonking. I'm not cranky. I'm not irritable. I'm not feeling panicky. Like I've got to stop and get something to eat. You know, it just happens. And you go an extra two hours. It's like, well, yeah, I'll enjoy lunch when I get home, but I'm not, I have that like urgency that I've got to eat right this minute. And to have that go away and it, it's been gone a while, but it's even better now. It's just, it takes another stressor off. And then you yep. stop and buy the crap and you spend the money that you want to spend on the crap. And you come home and you fix yourself a decent lunch. And it's two hours later. So what? Yeah. And me and meanwhile, you're having all that autophagy going on, which is really good for your right. body. <laughs> right. Mm. So uh, it's just for me, it's just been a, another way that I can relax about things. Yeah. All right. Well, any any final thoughts you can give on your on your journey and and also on how we can help people kind of reframe this? You know, I think like really everything, scared. we keep coming and going. Like everything, you have to be ready. Yep. But um, and I don't know how to get people ready. I don't, I don't know how to scare them without sounding obnoxious. Because, like I said, I, it just breaks my heart to see young parents walking around with an extra 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds and knowing what their future holds and how it's going to impact their family. And then they're teaching their children bad eating habits on top of everything else. I mean, it's a generational thing. But until yeah. somebody decides they're going to change the family tree within a family, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I get discouraged. Well, don't be discouraged because I think, you know, part of the thing is one of the things I like about this and I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm actually not trying to honk toot my horn, but cause I'm just the guide, but with everybody I've worked with, like you, it, it seems to be empowering, meaning they take control they execute they're not dependent on me to tell them what to do um and and that's sort of like not what's going on it's like we've created all these modern conveniences and the and the modern world has have made people dependent today more than in, at any other point in history there's this 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 huge need to monetize those as much as possible uh, it's in you know that the monetization component people need to make money people need to make a living whether you're a pediatrician or a pharmacist or anybody working in healthcare, but behind all that, there's this big behemoth that's trying to maximize that. It's, it's got undue influence on on really trying to help people. And, and when there's like things people can actually do on their own, like get metabolically fit, get fat adapted, get their vitamin D levels up, that stuff they're they're kind of prevented from doing that they're discouraged they're, you know and they're kind of kept in that and 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 that's kind of what i think you and i like you giving out those copies of the primal blueprint uh working with kids uh the buffalo chips and stuff like that and you you know we're trying to empower people like humans got here because we did things on our own and we were, we were able to figure it out just given the right inputs right yeah but when the information coming out from the powers that be is is either misleading or flat out incorrect it's very very hard to fight that yeah yeah but i think that that you know like i said if you if we have a point right now where data that clearly shows that metabolic health is at the root of all this and and this is something we can all take take into our own hands and 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 work on like you said you have a friend who had type 2 diabetes and she was able to get off the insulin well you know, most people can do that, right? Well, it's a disease that in the vast majority of people could be put into remission. Yeah. I'm not going to say everybody, but yep. there's no reason to think that our pancreases were meant to give out before the rest of us gives out. I mean, I we just are wearing them out. Yeah. It's a lot of people I was working with, and I just noticed that a lot of people went and got the initial therapies because they felt like they were doing something you know something they could do and yet taking vitamin d getting off the carbs was not was something they didn't feel they could do and that's that's just wrong on so many levels <laughs> well because i don't know 
like I said, I get discouraged and then I get a flicker of hope now and then. And right now my job is to take care of myself and my family. And, and the best way I can take care of my family is to take care of myself so that I'm not a burden on them someday. I yeah, want, if, well, if I have a choice, I want to die out on a run at a ripe old age. Yeah, there you go. Um, as much as that's in my control, that's my plan. Right. And, and, but that's, that's where it starts. And for the listener, it starts with taking control of yours. And then, but that, I, I do think you're reaching out way further than your, your reach is much further than you give yourself credit for. I mean, I think what you're doing with the Buffalo chips is great. I think that showing people you can run a lifetime PR 347, was it 346? Mm -hmm. marathon at the, at the age of 63 and, and 64. 64 chronologic age metabolic age is a different thing and and live life to the fullest because i mean I, I look at your training i see i talk to you about what you do and you know you're living this this wonderful life and and once you're in this metabolic state it's like you have to be using an app or following a diet or anything you just kind of live right well, I think maybe the thing that says it all is about three and a half years ago, I invited myself to join my daughter, my youngest daughter and her friend on the Rim to Rim hike in Grand Canyon. What's that? 24 miles? Yep. And they said I could come and I didn't train for it. I didn't do anything special for that trip. I never worried I wouldn't finish. I might have worried that I would slow the girls down. But and they didn't complain, bless their hearts. But it never even occurred to me that I could not finish that hike. And I think that's a great place to be. Yep. And I, I want to stay there as long as I can. I might be slower, but it just, I didn't, I never even had a moment of fear about it. I just packed up my stuff and went. All right. All right. Well, so you will have to continue that trajectory. It's like when Kathy, a couple of years ago, November of 2020, we did the JFK 50 miler and that got a lot of flack because it was going to run the race during COVID. And, but we, we did it. And, and the funny thing was like with Kathy, she was working the ICU in New Jersey. And if you'd looked right. at her, if you'd looked at her training, you would have said, there's no way she's going to finish this. You know, she had about six weeks out. She had a little block of training. She got some stuff done, but she was working 12 and 24 and 36 hour, or four, yeah, 36 hour shifts. I mean, she was, and, and she just stopped a night shift, like on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, her partner got her, scooped her up, drove her down. And, you know, we did it. And once we got deep in the thing, she's like, I can do this. It's a good place to be. If somebody calls me and invites me to do something a little bit crazy that requires fitness, I feel like I can say yes. And I, I like being there. Yeah, no, it's it's a great place to be. So we've had a few audio gaffes, uh, folks, but hopefully the editors can catch this and the recording caught it all. Linda, thanks so much for joining us. This was great. Uh, you're you're, a, you're a natural. I don't know about that. What's Thank that? you for asking me. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> yeah, well, you're part of the, you're part of my cause, whether you know it or not. We've got to we've got to kind of do this, and we've got it. We've the thing is 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 this this offers this offers a pathway that anybody can apply and use in the context of their life to to get that adaptation. And if it needs to know, go up to another level to refer to a specialist in medicine, you know, we we have those connections too, but it's kind of it's kind of like for most people like you say they can do it on themselves they just need the right guidance information and tools and not get fixated on diets and exercise get fixated on themselves like you say the best thing you can do is be the best version of yourself you can be and not be a burden on anybody else and then you can go out there like you're going when are you going to salvador again uh the second or the third of january okay so you'll be in in Salvador for a couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah, and I, I don't exercise there, and I don't eat well by my standard. And last year I came home and went right back on my diet, my usual diet. I yep. got a little low carb flu anyway, and I went out for a twenty mile run two days later. There I did you all go. right. Wasn't my yep. best twenty mile run, but 
yeah but that's that's the that's the thing we've seen is 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 you build that when you build up your metabolic capacity you you can burn some matches you've got the matches to burn whereas if whereas when you're burning carbs chronically as you were before you're burning up those matches and you got right. fewer in future fewer few and i call them the mitochondrial matches so all right well thanks again um, you're welcome my pleasure and uh we'll schedule another one soon to talk about kids get the okay pediatrician okay. here this went well okay thanks peter thank you very much take care <laughs>